Hello there, and welcome to The Wilfy Ad, a podcast by me, Wilf Mertens, which is mainly me telling stories. First off, I'd like to thank um, Nathaniel Williams, who gave me the microphone I'm using, and also John Henry Baker, who gave me the pop shield or lent it to me. It was unclear uh, whether it was a lending or a giving. Oh, and also I'd like to thank Simon Panrucker, who wrote the theme and who writes lots of other great music and uh, does brilliant videos. I urge you to go and uh, check him out and stop wasting your time listening to me. I'd like to thank them and all the other people that have helped me through the years. It's getting a bit Oscar speech, isn't it? No, I just wanted to say that. Um, because otherwise I'm doing it all on my Todd. I wish you could see the rather alarming vocal booth I've set up in uh, in the caravan where I live. Um, maybe I'll, I'll post a picture. I was requested to do this podcast by Thomas and Jaroon, my friends in the beautiful city of Amsterdam, so this goes out to them. Um, I have previously made a podcast... Um, on this very feed and I've been painfully not making that podcast for two years I've hated every minute of not making it I'm not making it I haven't been making it because I'm gonna make it better and I'm working with a wonderful producer called Sam Halmarak but unfortunately Sam's a perfectionist and he didn't want us to kind of keep making the podcast in an amateurish way he wanted us to be pro style but since me and him aren't going to get round to it for a bit longer now because of the isolation. I'm just going to do some amateurish ones just as a little cheeky, a little cheeky bit of Wilfy adding. Um, hopefully he's not listening. No, I hope he is. Hello mate, I love you. I love you mate. Screw you Sam! Here goes. This is a podcast. What story am I going to tell? Um... I'm going to tell a story which I think is kind of relevant to this time. And you see what you think. I think it's an amazing story. I'm going to pronounce the name um, of the people that it comes from probably incorrectly. Um, Naganasan. Naganasan. They're a tribe who are from the Siberian kind of region, very big region, somewhere in Siberia uh, this story comes from. So apologies if I get any of the pronunciation wrong. The story goes like this. There was once a man named Nyanaganas, and he was out hunting, and it became very foggy. This fog descended from nowhere, and he was quickly lost. And he came to this stream, and he tried to leap over it, but his footing wasn't good, and he landed on the other bank, but he took a step backwards into this stream, and where he expected it to be kind of ankle deep, it just plunged down and down, and he fell into this water and he sunk, sunk, sunk and came out the other side of the water and he was coughing and spluttering on the banks of this stream and Nyanaganis stood and shivered and looked around and found himself in a new land. There was no fog, the landscape was different, this was not his home. He knew the territory where he lived, his world intimately and this wasn't it he was terrified he could see the sun was going down he thought he was going to be frozen to death and he wandered and he was so relieved when he came across a woman she was riding a reindeer she looked like just a normal woman 
That said, she was riding a blue reindeer. It was speckled with white. That was normal, but it was white on blue, not normal. But nevertheless, he was relieved, and he called out to her. Now, people who live in inhospitable environments, in my very limited experience, really look out for each other. If you live in a landscape that can close its fist and crush you and leave nothing but frozen or burnt dust, then you tend to kind of, you know, get into the habit of of giving each other a hand. I was once lost in a desert, car broke down. I remember the people that rescued us, how kindly they were to us and how ordinary that was for them. The guy who saved our car, he, he actually moved out of his house so we could stay there for a couple of days. He went to stay with someone else. And like me and my brother slept, I slept in his bed. And when we left, his mother made us breakfast and a packed lunch to take with us. People look out for each other in these inhospitable environments. It's not like London. When you call to someone, they turn around. And that's why Nyanaganis was so surprised when the woman didn't turn round. And he began to run to catch up to her. And he found it was difficult. I mean, the running felt normal, like the feet upon the ground, leaving the ground, the muscles moving, but he wasn't getting closer to her, or he wasn't getting closer quick enough. It reminds me of this scene in one of the stories of the Mabinogion, the wonderful Welsh cycle, wherein there's a king and he's trying to catch up to this woman, this fairy woman who's riding a horse. And this isn't the kind of fairies that dance around on cupcakes. The fairies you encounter in the Mabinogion are, are human-sized, for starters, and they're a race of people, albeit ones with you know mysterious, often dangerous powers. And they have grown-up things like politics and bitterness, not just sparkles. Anyway, he's trying to catch up to this fairy woman, and he just runs and runs, and even though she's riding slowly, he doesn't get any closer, and he gets shagged out and he sits on this little hillock and he sees that she's just trotting along and so he's like what's going on and he tries again but again he finds he just can't get any closer to her but Nyanaganis has determination and slowly he gets closer and closer to this woman and finally he's close enough to reach out and tap her on the shoulder and she still doesn't turn round and he taps her again and then she clutches the left hand, her right shoulder, and she kind of makes a oh, groaning noise. And he runs until he's in front of her, and he stands in front of her, but both her and the reindeer just look straight through him. And he has to jump out of their way, and he follows them, perplexed. And she gets to her yurt, and she dismounts, and she goes inside, and he follows her. And she tells her family she's got a dull pain in her right shoulder, and she's not feeling very well. And Nyanaganis is like, well, it's, it's not my fault. I mean, I tapped her. That's all I did. I didn't do it very hard. I, I haven't done anything wrong, but none of them can hear him. None of them can see him. They don't look at him. When they do look at him, they look straight through him. And the woman gets some food, and Nyanaganis just, like, helps himself because he's hungry, and he sits down right next to her as she sits by the fire, and she begins sweating, and she lays there, and they call the shaman, the old shaman, to see what's wrong. And the shaman comes in and he takes some food, as is tradition. And he does all the right things. He says the prayers and he chants the chants and he sings. But it does nothing. And that night the woman is pulled into a feverish sleep. She tosses and turns. 
and in the morning the family are very worried. And Yarnaganis doesn't know what to do. I mean, every now and again he goes out and he kind of has a wander around and maybe he can walk home. He tries a few times, but each time he just doesn't recognise where he is and he feels like it's a long way away and he can't just do it on foot. And he always goes back to the yurt because it's the only place that he has to stay. And sometimes the woman looks like she's improved a little bit, but she always gets sicker again. And the family, well, they ask around and they hear about this other shaman he's a young guy he's an orphan but apparently he has the gift and so they invite him and he comes and he takes a little food and he starts saying the prayers and chanting the chants and singing the songs and he has a drum but he doesn't play it he just holds it in his hand and at a certain point he lifts up the stick to bang it and just before he does he looks straight at Nyanaganis. And it's a horrible feeling. Nyanaganis is kind of pinned to the floor where he sat by the woman's chair. He's got so used to being invisible over the last days. And, you know, it's, it's kind of nice being invisible. You you know, it, to suddenly be seen is a deeply disturbing thing. And then the shaman starts to bang the drum and the sound goes right through Nyanaganis. It kind of vibrates his bones. It's like fingers down a blackboard. And he's terrified and he kind of shelters behind the woman. He, he huddles up behind her chair. And the sound's going through him and through him. And the shaman comes up and he's banging all around the woman's head in front of her face. And then he reaches his arms around her and behind her head. And Nyanaganis is rolling on the floor with his fingers in his ears. And he's like, no, 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 trying to block out the sound. He feels like he's going to sick up his guts. And then the sound stops. And he looks up, opens his eyes to see the young shaman looking right at him. What do you require? And Nyanaganis replies with complete silence, his mouth open, and the shaman says to him, Why are you here? I don't, I don't, I mean, why is anyone anywhere? I don't even know where I am. What do you require so you can leave? A reindeer, I need a reindeer. And the shaman turns to the family and he asks them if they will give a reindeer. They say yes, indeed, they nod their heads, and so they make a reindeer out of wood, and they give it to Nyanaganis, and it's just a reindeer, kind of hastily made out of sticks, but it's a reindeer. And he leaves the yurt, and he gets on the reindeer, and he rides. The hooves on the frozen soil are hypnotic. He rides and rides and rides. He doesn't know what happens it doesn't even have any visuals but if it did maybe it would be a veil of water him passing through and he wakes up on the bank of this stream and there's a little wooden reindeer next to him he kicks it into the water and he goes back to his yurt and he sits down with his people and he tells them what happened to him And Nyanaganis hypothesizes that they are sickness spirits, like they are actually living in the realm of sickness spirits. And he had just gone to the normal human realm and kind of discovered this, like they had been them without realizing it. He says to them, 
I learned that we are the sickness spirits. One of us is going to be fever and one of us is going to be the piercing pain and one of us is going to be the tiredness and one of us is going to be the dreaded smallpox. I imagine when he says that bit that everyone kind of looks at this like spotty cousin in the corner and he's like, what? And the story ends in such a strange way. It says that those who were listening to Nyanagana say this became sickness spirits. And so we can conclude by that that it wasn't the whole Naganasan tribe. It was just the ones who heard. So I think Nyanaganas was wrong. It wasn't that they were all sickness spirits in his world and then he went to another world and discovered that. He was a sickness spirit in that other world. But then when he came back, it was just the people he told who became sickness spirits. And I guess the message is, you have to be careful what you say. And this story is maybe a good window in when we look at times of yore, of past times when people seem to get very het up about people saying the wrong thing or having kind of minor differences in like the doctrine of whatever culture or religion or tradition they're in. And it's it's hard to it's hard to empathize with this when you're from a kind of pluralistic secular culture where you can kind of say anything. But I think for many people to say the wrong thing was very dangerous and you would no more do it than you would pollute a water source that people drank from. Well, that wasn't really a happily ever after story, but it was the one that I told. Maybe next time I could tell another story relevant for plague times, the the old Sufi one perhaps about the man who gets this prophecy that all the water's going to start turning people mad so he stores up lots of fresh water no one else believes him and then they start drinking the water once it starts turning people mad and they all go mad and he's the only sane one but because he's the only sane one he's actually mad and so in the end he's so lonely that what can he do but drink the water which is going to make you mad but then he'll be like everyone else which is the new sane I could tell you that story or numerous other stories Whichever one I tell you, I just really, really hope that you like it. And I also hope that you enjoyed listening today and that you're keeping safe and that you're finding ways to survive and maybe even enjoy um, the situation you find yourself in. It's not always easy, as a friend of mine always reminds us. I'm going to try and make this weekly. If that helps in some small way, I hope it does. And leave a review if you can. Um, helps people find it you can leave one on itunes or wherever you get your podcasts and it just remains for me to say comrades dear listeners take care of yourselves goodbye you've been listening to the wilfie ad a storytelling podcast by me wilf mertens with music by simon panrucker